What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out Podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with. We're going to be talking about life before prison, life in prison, and life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that will help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. Folks, today I've got the hardworking man, Billy Vasquez, with me. Billy, welcome in, man. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, man. It's an honor. Uh, Billy, you know, one of the things I was thinking, when, when, first of all, we had a hell of a time getting connected here on this Zoom with uh, <laughs> see, when, thank God it works, because otherwise I would have had to do something I've never done before, and we wouldn't have wanted that to happen. Yeah. God only knows what would have happened. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, one of the things I remember, Billy, about you is, first of all, you were the guy that, that I mean, there was some big equipment that Leavenworth had. I mean, big trucks and other big equipment and you were always the guy that uh was driving that around did you did you learn that in an early age like growing up yes i did i uh <clears throat> i was always around farm equipment and uh it just you know the big stuff always fascinated me and and i would always tell my my stepfather to praise me like his own I want to be able to operate those one of these days and and do all those amazing things that people do on them. Yeah. And that was, I was always in my head and he goes, and the, the things that helped me out is that my dad always told me, he goes, well, you see that guy that's on it right now? And I said, yeah, he ain't no different than you. So yeah. Able to do that. So Billy growing up, where did you grow up? Tell me, take me back to where Billy was as a kid. Uh, and some, town that i hate to even remember or mention but it was milshoe texas okay i went to school there i played a little football there and i got into a lot of trouble there too <laughs> <laughs> but i worked i started working at a real young age and uh you know we were uh, my dad was a uh, was a farm worker and we did a lot of uh what do I want to say? Agriculture, like, yeah. you know, picking, picking uh, peppers and watermelons and yeah. pretty, pretty hard work. Hard work all day long in the sunshine down in Texas. Yeah. yeah work, you know, you know, hot or cold. We were out there so we could, you know. Did you, uh, what about siblings, brothers, sisters? I had, I had two brothers that live with us. Yeah. Two, two smaller brothers, two younger ones. So were you, you were the oldest? Yeah. Yes, I'm the oldest. Yeah. I have a sister, but she didn't. She didn't live with us. She lived with uh, one of my aunts. And mom and dad, they stay together. Marriage. Yeah, they stayed, they stayed together till my father passed away. Whenever I was uh, 18 years old. Wow. Okay. He, yeah, he he, uh, he passed away during Christmas and in Mexico on vacation. Were you with him? Yeah, I was with him, man. We, we were, me and my little brother and him went down there to go visit family. And and uh, we were down there and he had a little accident. And, and yeah, he died on Christmas, man. Mm. 
He did actually died. Yeah. He actually died on Christmas, Billy. Yeah. Oh. Christmas, wow. Yeah. Does that make Christmas kind of tough, being the fact that that's when he died? It does. It's because you know you always you're always going to remember him, and on that special day you have to be happy for your other you know yeah. loved ones. But you always he's always in the back of your mind on that day, you know. Well. Well, the the memory, you know. Yeah. So we have to see him actually dead in the in the vehicle and and help them get him off and everything. Oh man, quite a day. Well, there they do things a little different, man. Yeah. Well, I noticed yeah. like a, it, it. It really. Go ahead. It really affected. It really affected my little brother because he was like you know real attached to him and he was <laughs> a baby. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I mean, it devastated my brother. How old? How old do you think your brother would have been, Billy, at that point? Because you were, you said you were eighteen. My my father? No, your well, your brother, your little brother. You said it affected him. He was younger. What? How old would he have been? How much younger is he than you? He's uh, seven years younger than uh, me. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's forty years old right now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it affected him really bad, man. He 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 just he couldn't. To this day, he, 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 he never been able to step out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Billy, when when you you were doing all that work and the family was doing the work in the fields and that, what uh, when you turned eighteen uh, or you got out of high school, what what did you do after that? Well, I I was always, you know, just going from job to job. You know, I I, I had a child at a real young age and. I was, you know, struggling with some addictions and alcohol and, you know, you know, working, you know, just farm work and, and, you know, just construction and stuff like that. And really nothing stable, you know what I mean? Just, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, just living on the edge, man, you know what I mean? All the time. Did you have like a group of guys that you, I mean, did you realize Billy, because some people realize when they're addicted or they have a drinking problem early on, and some people don't. They're they're just functioning and, and going along in their life. Did were you hanging around like a group of guys that everybody was kind of that's what they were doing and it seemed normal, or did you say or did you think no, I don't really feel that normal. I need to kind of figure this out. It was, it was a big part of our life since we were little kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know my my father. You know he he did it. My uncles did it. Everybody around us, so that was just like something normal that we did every weekend, you know, mm-hmm. every Friday and Saturday. And my friends that I grew up with, all of them, you know, it was the same thing. It was just something normal to us, and we did it all the time. Because I know I've I see a lot of things on your Facebook. You got a lot of like big family functions and things. It looks like you still have like uh, a lot of family around you. Did when you were going through that, were you still connected to all the family members and everything, or were you feel did you were you somewhat separated? Well, I'll, no, I've always been real connected to all my family. I mean, we got some that you know just. Every, you know, like they think they're better than us. <laughs> That's like every family, right? <laughs> oh yeah, and, and and I'm real big into into keeping the family together. Everybody talking, you know, getting along, and and, and you know, we were we were raised. Everybody 
big functions, you know, would any little thing turned it to be a big thing, you know. Yeah. And still, and still to this day, you know, even, you know, I love, I love being around family, and and my family's kind of a little bit really busy and and in different towns, and you know, some of our family just don't want nothing to do with each other, and I'm trying to bring everybody in, but it's kind of hard. You think you kind of do that because you're the oldest of the family? Yeah. Pull everybody together. Yeah. I get, I get some of that. I'm. Oldest of my family. It's kind of hard because, you know, it's just, you know, people want to be, they just want to, like, separate and, you know, uh, we don't, we don't have time or this and that. And I'm like, man, ever since I got out of prison, I just, I wanted to connect with everybody, especially my family, and it, and it just didn't work that way. Yeah, I think that's something that. Uh, when you go to prison, it really puts a lot of different things in perspective with how you see things when you, well, what you see is important. You know, the, the family and freedom and uh, trying to be happy and having people together. I, I, I get that, man. Well, so what, how did, how did everything occur, Billy, with you? Because um, did you, as you were veering in, you felt like you were had, a little bit of a drinking deal and, and some drugs. Did it, did it veer yeah. into that you were, you started getting with people who made a business out of that? Well, the way it started, I mean, <clears throat> whenever, I think when I, when I first got into some serious issues, I was about 27 years old and mm-hmm. I was uh, selling a little bit of cocaine and I got, you know, I got my house faded and, and I went to jail, and it was a pretty big hit on my family. And and luckily, I got an attorney, and it was a state deal, so I was able to avoid prison. Mm-hmm. And I got a ten-year probation sentence, and it it uh it was it was it was hard, but you know I was just I had to do about six months, and they gave me work release and. I was one of those guys that would go to jail and start cleaning the jail and <laughs> trying to help out. And they and they noticed that and they said, "We can't believe you're, you know, you're that kind of person. You seem like a really good guy." And I don't think you belong in here. And and the jailer talked to the judge and they they gave me early release, man. But I had to do ten years on probation and and I still didn't learn my lesson and I got into a couple a little bit more trouble and but now that I look at it I'm like dang I was just I guess I was just dying to go to prison <laughs> you know what I mean yeah kind of just daring the uh daring standing on the edge always oh I was I'm one of those guys that I always walked on the line you know the, the good and bad but I was always pushing my luck and you know I I straightened out a little bit whenever I became a single parent, mm-hmm. my my daughter and my son, just a little bit, you know. And I I was managing a co-op, which is like a farm store and you know, the tire shop, and I was doing very well, man. I mean, I was I was doing good, and I became part of the fire department and fire and rescue. I was the first responder. You know, that was one of my. I remember that. I remember you talking about that in our depth. Yeah, it was one of the 
the best things that I went through life, you know, and other than my kids, you know, and you know, the, the people there, they liked me so much, and they paid for all my schooling. They sent me to Texas A&M, you know, fire school two years in a row, and paid for everything. Gave me all kinds of training, and I was certified in all kinds of stuff. So I was alive. Was a big part of my community, but I was a functioning. A, a very well-functioning addict and also, you know, trying, you know, living on the edge, you know, mm-hmm. all the people that I shouldn't have been hanging out with and, you know, doing little favors for them here and there. And, and you know, eventually it caught up to me. And, it, it, you know, my little boy was three years old. I, I started my best family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still had my daughter. My daughter had just turned 16 whenever I got arrested from the feds. And my son was 17. And my little boy was two years old. And it was horrible, man. And then, you know, How did it happen, Billy? How did it happen? What was what what what, what went down? You know, what went down was uh, um, there was a group of guys that, that I knew. And. They always wanted me to get involved in in, uh, in transporting marijuana from you know from the border back in back up here you know back around here mm-hmm. and uh, I never wanted to do it because I was making really good money and I didn't need it mm-hmm. and I didn't I just didn't want to get involved because of my kids and everything like that but at the same time it kind of uh, Intrigued me, you know, to be part of that group, you know, know them guys and know what they did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it came with the benefits of knowing them, you know, the, you know, we used to go to parties, bars, and we had the best of everything, you know, fighting roosters illegally. Yeah, there was a certain and, status to it, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that lifestyle, at the moment, I was like all into it, you know. And they were like, come on, man, you can make big money. I said, no, I'm good. I can do this. But, you know, that every once in a while, they'd be like, hey, can you find me a, a, a truck or can you find me a driver? And that's how I started getting involved, you know, little by little like that. And I always told them, I said, I never want to be part of the actual transport or anything like that. But yeah, I'll find you a pickup or I'll find you somebody that will help you drive it. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, one day they uh, had a semi in South Texas on the other side of the border, and they needed some, uh, they needed uh, disguise to load. It was, it was a dump truck, and they needed to uh, buy some, it was called bentonite. Bentonite is what they use, like, for ponds, or when they drill a well, they put mm-hmm. it on the casing, some kind of sand, and they couldn't order it. And then they came to me and they said, hey, all we need you to do is just order this sand and you pay for it with our credit card. So I called that company and, you know, got it set up and bought it and everything was good. And that's how I got involved, man. I got a conspiracy charge for aiding and abating with intent to distribute. They, uh, they, uh, they did it twice. And they got caught once the second time. The first time, everything went so smooth. Everybody thought it was great. Yeah. But they got greedy and they wanted to do it back to back. Yeah. 
and I told them it was a bad idea, and they did it on the second time, and that's whenever they got caught, and uh, they got caught with uh, about seven, 700 pounds, and they charged us with 1,400 because they said that was the second time mm-hmm. that that had happened. Even though they didn't bust us the first time, they still charged us with 1,400 pounds of marijuana. So when you got arrested, Billy, I mean, did they, was it a raid or did they just come and take you or what, how did that happen? Man, it was, it was horrible because I was, uh, I was, I was working for a company that built dairies over here mm-hmm. and I was kind of like the, uh, guy that delivered all the, uh, machinery, the equipment, anything they needed. We were building one of the largest dairies in the United States, indoor dairies. And. We had about 300 employees, and I showed up in the morning to the job site on the pickup and the trailer, and all the guys came to me to start ordering whatever they needed, and I was going to go get it for them. And it seemed like four Suburbans coming down the road and the sheriff, and uh, the guys thought it was the immigration, and I told them, I said, don't worry about it. I got this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they, thought it, they thought it was the immigration, and they went straight towards me and they surrounded me. Yeah. And I said, yes, sir, how can I help you? And they're like, it said, you know, you know, federal government, whatever, and the Homeland Security. And they're like, are you Billy Jack Foskett? And I said, I sure am. You're under arrest. So when they took you that day, uh, how long a process did you go through before you you knew they had you dead to right and you had, you know, make a decision of here's your deal and, and, you know, whether you're going to go to trial or all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah. They, they, um, they took me, I lived in the country. I had a little place in the country. They, there was about four, you know, like four or five suburbans. I can't remember, but anyways, they took me back to my house Mm -hmm. and they were searching the house like crazy. The, I had animals and, you know, my corrals that were over there searching. Somebody had told them that I had all kinds of drugs buried and money and all that stuff. And they were out there with metal detectors, dogs, and they couldn't find anything. Were your kids? There was nothing. To, were your kids in the house? My son, yeah. My son was there. My daughter was at school. And they, you know, they were searching. They turned my house upside down and everything. And they could, I mean, they didn't find anything because there was nothing really, to, there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. And so they, they picked up my, uh, the guy that was actually, he, he worked right next to my house and they picked him up and they took, they hauled us to Amarillo and then they were like, Hey, how do you know this guy? And I was like, well, you know, I, I was being straight up, you know, right off the rip, you know, I was just, I was like, my life's over. You know what I mean? And I was yeah. just going with the flow. I was like, I've known him for three, four years. And then he goes, well, you know, they were trying to, they were just trying to get more stuff out of us, but there really wasn't that much. I was telling them everything that I knew. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, that's, well, that's funny because he says he doesn't know you. And I said, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. And he goes, we know y'all, we know y'all know each other because, Y'all talk all the time on the phone. We got that, you know, we got all that. And I mm-hmm. said, okay. So I'm telling you the truth. And if he doesn't want to tell you the truth, I can't control him. But yeah, I stood here in Amarillo 
until the feds picked me up and they took me to the border where the where the crime happened to Pecos, Texas, close to the border, mm-hmm. and uh, I was there five months before I got sentenced. And the reason I got sentenced so fast is because I mean I wasn't I mean I was guilty, you know I mm-hmm. accepted responsibility, and uh, they put a separatese on all of us where we couldn't you know be in the same. We were in the same jail, but we couldn't be in the same cell mm. because there was a guy that was telling on everybody and, you know, and out of, uh, I think there was thir- 13 of us that were involved in that conspiracy. And the guy that was the driver, he was a friend of mine and he's the one that told on all of us and everybody's involvement and all that. So they said, it, I mean, uh, they said, you want to fight? If you want to fight, you know what happens when you fight with the feds. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get double your time? So I guess they scared me, and I just said, you know what, I'm guilty. And I mean, it was the toughest five months of my life, you know, because I was losing everything. I was losing my house. I was my children. You know, I I had to leave my son alone, and my fiance. She was hanging on by a thread. Mm-hmm. It was affecting her really bad. She was she was just drinking all the time and really not paying attention to the kids and and it was it was horrible, man, because you know, I was supposed to get married like in a couple months, you know, and so everything was just, everything was good, Billy. And then it was Yeah, it was it was really good and then all of a sudden my nightmare began, yeah. buddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so and it, it Billy was the uh were the kids going to stay with your parents or what, how did that all shake out? Like when you were in and you said you had the fiance, was she watching the kids or how did all that? Well, my fiance, you know, she lived, she lived in her own house. Okay. And then I lived, I lived with my two kids at my own house and she had my two year old, mm-hmm. you know, me and her had, had my son, Xavier. And, uh, <clears throat> my daughter was 16 and my son was 17. So, I, I, uh, I didn't know what to do. I was just, I didn't, I had, for the first time in my life, I was, and, uh, you said that you said for the first time in your life, you were, yeah. Cause I, w- I was always in control of everything. And then all of a sudden I didn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't make any decisions. You know, right. I was just telling them, I don't know what to do. And my, my, uh, my ex-wife, She's like, well, I'll take, you know, I'll take my daughter and my son back, but they didn't want to go with her. So they ended up going with my, with my sister for a little bit. And then that didn't work out. And my daughter, it was affecting her. You know what my, my, what I did was affecting her too. And she kind of struggled a little bit and then she ended up with my mother Mm -hmm. and my son. Well, he was already old enough to go fend for himself. So Billy, all that swirling around, man, and then you decide you're, you know, you're you're gonna plea. Then where did they send you? Well, then the, you, I, your plea, I guess, was you told me it was you got an eight year sentence, right? Eighty four months. Eighty four months. It was eighty four months. Yeah, and nobody, everybody there couldn't believe it because they were like, "It's just marijuana. It's just marijuana." But the reason I got enhanced a little bit is because. 
of my prior felonies because I had prior felonies. Yeah. And uh, so they said, if you if you're gonna plea out, we can have this done and fast. You start your time and you go to prison, and it's a lot better than being in this shithole. Yeah, it was the county. Shithole. Yeah. I can't believe you were in there for and five the months. That's a long time to be in county. Man, and the one in Peckles was a shithole, buddy. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to say that, but God dang. But anyways, um, I got sentenced to 84 months. Uh, three days later, in the middle of the night, the bus shows up, and we're going to Oklahoma City to get to Transfer. get uh, transferred and then uh, to get uh, see if you're a gang member. What do they call that? Uh, classified? Yeah. <laughs> they classify you and they see where, you know, where you're going to go or what prison has room for you. And I think I was in uh, Oklahoma City for two weeks and and they put me on a on a Con Air to Inglewood, Colorado, to a low, to a low uh, prison. Uh, Billy, what was your time like at, at Oklahoma? Because everybody talks about it uh, as just a terrible place as a transfer center. It was- one of the moments getting over there because it took us two days from Peckles on the bus, you know, on the prison yeah. bus to you so were we would have to shackled and everything. Shackled head to toe and the bus was full, man, and I remember taking that bus ride and I was I was you know, inside of me I was just all torn up, you know, I you know, I and then what was funny is there was some guys in there with live sentences and they're talking and laughing. And I'm like, what the hell, man? How can you be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause your head's spinning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, I got eight, I got eight, 84 months. You've got a life sentence and you're more happier than I am. You know what I mean? I was like, I, I just couldn't figure it out, man. And we had to stop every eight hours and would go to the County and they would check us in and, Mm. You know, strip searches, and mm. oh, it was horrible, man. Mm. It's never good and to we travel were, as a prisoner. No, it's not, man. You get, you know, you have to do the the whole body cavity search. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, you know, it was, it was funny. Is I, I went, um, it was it was actually when we were in RDAP, Billy, and yeah. I had to go back to that civil trial. And the guys, one of the, one of the guys told me, hey, you know, Cass, it's not going to be a big deal at all. In fact, you'll probably go with the marshals, and they'll take you through Taco Bell, and and you know they'll you, you'll you'll got probably even get to McDonald's by St. Louis. So <laughs> I get picked up by Warren County sheriffs, and the first thing they do is they shackle me, and I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't anything anybody talked about. <laughs> and I, I was thrown in the back of that van, and. They pulled into some place, you know, because they don't get their gas at a normal place. And so and then they throw that, yeah. that bag back there that's got, like, this really weird-looking meat in it and this cheese and warm yeah. milk. And I thought, man, this is a long ways from Taco yeah. Bell McDonald's. But it, it's that's just – and then you get thrown into that county jail scene. And, you know, for me, I did it in reverse because, I, you know, I was at Leavenworth and then went into the county – and mm-hmm. man, people who get those two thinking that they're the same thing, you know, people on the outside, hey, jail, prison, <laughs> they're so different. It is, man. Totally different. I, I, you know, whenever we finally got to Oklahoma City, man, we were in the bus, you know, the, it goes in a basement and the CEO gets on there and he's like, you know, any, any Tongo blast, you know, starts naming off gang members, mm-hmm. you know, any, any gang members in here and, all the 
Congo Blast get up and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there cause I'm, I'm nothing. Right. I'm just a guy, you know, <laughs> I'm just a guy. I'm from Texas, you know, you're a Texan. <laughs> yeah. And so these guys get up and I guess they have to separate them because, you know, they, they can't all be together. Yeah. And, you know, they start naming off all these other, and then all of a sudden they're like, where are you from? I said, I'm from, you know, Texas and this and that. Oh, you should be in the Texas unit. And I said, well, I don't know. So they, they just threw me in with everybody else with the mix. And it was pretty tough, man, because everybody was affiliated and I wasn't affiliated. And they're like, well, who are you going to run with? Well, I don't, I'm not going to make that decision until I get to prison, you know, well. We, well, you won't be able to eat here. You, you know how prison is. You won't oh, yeah. be able to eat here. You can't do there. You can't. Yeah, can't be in our God, spot. I just, yeah, you know how that stupid shit is. It over is there. stupid. Yeah, but it was good because the paisas, you know, the Mexicans, like from Mexico, the paisas, mm-hmm. they took me under their wing, and uh, they said, you don't have to run with us, but you know, you'll make your choice when you get to prison. But you know, you can eat here with us. We'll take care of you, whatever, and you know. Two weeks. I was there two weeks, and it was horrible, man. Yeah, horrible. And then they put us in this. They again at three o'clock in the morning. They get us out and they stick us in this big old holding cell. I think there was about two hundred people in there. Mm. All kinds of crazy, man. It was just horrible. And then we got to get in line and get chained up again to get on Con Air. So and what's your what's going good. through your head? What's going through your head, Billy? I don't want to get on this damn airplane, but I don't have a damn choice, man. Yeah, you know no what control. I mean? <laughs> yeah, you got no, no control. control, no rights. I mean, I'm ch- <laughs> I'm chained up, and I see everybody chained up, and we can barely walk. You know? Yeah. And I'm. It's hard to look cool. Like, it's hard to look cool walking in the uh, shackles. It, it's it's just, it is man. You got a weird shuffle going on. And then they put us on this plane, man, and we just. We get we get the I can't remember Trinidad, Colorado. The plane lands there, mm-hmm. and whenever we land there and we're getting out of the plane, I mean, there's marshals all the way around us with shotguns, and I'm yeah. like, I'm like, man, I really did it this time. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is a real deal. Yeah. I said I really I really did it this time, man. I was I can't believe I'm going through this. I was like I I really screwed up, man. I said I can't believe I'm going through this shit. And then, you know, they put us on a bus and and off we go to Inglewood Prison, where I did about three years. Yeah, what was your, what was your, like, getting there, your first day, what was it all like getting into Inglewood? Because that would have been kind of, this is going to be your home for a while. Well, it was, it was just like my, it was just like the movies, man, you know, but, uh, the bus, you're coming up to the prison, you see these barbed wire fences yeah. and and the marshals, you know, circling it around and with the shotgun. Go into the yeah, you go into the sally port and then they start telling you, Hey, get off and it's gonna be a while, you know, they don't get in no hurry and plus you got plenty of time. Y'all get in this in this holding cell and then we're gonna process y'all one at a time and then we'll give you your clothes and your blankets and your little hygiene and off you go to the to the big house, you know. And we're all sitting in there and we're all talking to each other and there's a restroom right there, right there. And if you have to go, you have to go in front of 30 other guys that are there and it's a really small deal. And, and 
we were there all day and yeah people had to go to the restroom man people had to take shit and everything and mm. we're right there and after they take a shit you know it's time to eat you know what i mean yeah it's just horrible but it was just yeah, like animals God. yeah and i i just couldn't believe that i was going through it man i just kept on saying dang you had the best and now look at you <laughs> yeah it's such a drastic change and and it you know that whole thing is almost like a shock treatment of you know when they process you through prison because you can almost feel like your freedom's shedding off your skin when you're going through that yeah so and, billy did you get then, when you got in there did the guys uh did you feel like they were helpful and kind of getting you set up and getting you to know the place and Get the, the job CEO, the and all those things. The COs, which is the correctional correction officers, of course. Me and you know that, but yeah. maybe maybe somebody that hadn't been there doesn't know what we're talking about. But they gave me the impression that they really didn't give a shit about you, mm-hmm. and you were just another number to them. Which we actually do have numbers. That's the unfortunate yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> and you know, one of them said, "Hey." I'm a counselor, so, you know, I'm an Inglewood counselor, and if do you need counseling? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, you know, lost right now in my mm-hmm. family. He goes, well, he goes, I got about 400, 400 other people there in the same situation as you, so, you know, you'll learn how to deal with it once you get in there, he told me. That's nice. <laughs> Very nice counselor. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll but, figure you know, out. you know, it, it, it's called punishment for a reason. You know, I, yeah. I, I guess we do expect a little bit of leniency and like a little bit of help or anything like that. But man, it was horrible. Your counselor don't give a shit about you. They just want to be left alone. Yeah. And you, you just do your time and. Well, and one, th- one thing I, one thing I did notice about you though, Billy, you, you handled prison from from the outside looking in for somebody like me looking at you doing prison. You had a very cool, laid back vibe. Uh, you were a seemingly looked to be a guy that was getting along, uh, not feeling like a victim, but just you know, uh, generally, however happy you can be in prison. I always got the you know. Uh, it, it seemed like you were getting by. You had some kind of strategy on how you were getting through, and some guys don't. You know, I kind of think that the, you look at guys that are in prison and you see guys that are moping around. There's the victimhood, and they've kind of slid down that slippery slope. You weren't one of those guys. You were active. You were working, trying to better yourself. And you're telling me when you went to Inglewood, you did a lot of uh, uh, programming. Other work. Yeah, and things that, that helped you get even – out and transferred and your points down sooner. How did that work? Well, you know, I just, one of the things that I, I, you know, I had, I met a guy in there that, you know, he, he had been locked up for a long time and me and him became really good friends, almost, you know, like a brother deal, you know, Mm -hmm. and he got me into leather and he, you know, he's telling me, Hey, you know, know, he's like my mentor, man. And, you know, I still talk to him to this day and he's like, you got a program, man. You got to stay busy. Keep your mind occupied. You know, he goes, you're going to have another chance at all this at life again and make your stuff right with you. And, and I guess just seeing, I'm the type of person that I learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. And I try to, 
preach that to my kids, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you'll get another shot at going out there and making things right, and you'll also get another shot at getting into more serious trouble. <laughs> right, you got a choice. You know what I mean? So yeah. you so you got to pick what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. And I told him, well, I just want to focus on getting out. And, you know, my two-year-old boy, you know, was he was the main deal, man, you mm-hmm. know, leaving a little child like that. Yeah, that'd be horrible. You know, my older kids, you know, they could fend for themselves a little bit, but mm-hmm. my little baby, you know. Yeah. And I was so attached to him. He was so attached to me. And and I just started doing all kinds of programs. I had plenty of time to do it. Yeah. So I started doing, you know, business uh, business and restaurant managing, uh, financial 101, parenting, you know, anger management. And I just started doing all kinds of stuff. And then I got into leather. And thank God I got into leather because I was doing leather every day chance I got me and him were just always doing leather and it helped my time out so I mean it just well, it just helped me out and well for those that don't know I I have um still have uh <laughs> Billy Vasquez special from uh he he made my wallet in prison and it's it's still good today it, it, and I carried that thing every day for three years I yeah. love it but it, you actually hey. did good leather work I mean it was it was thank you I, nice. I, uh, I try to, I try to get out of here and do it, yeah. but I didn't have time. Yeah. I didn't have time, but my buddy, he sends me all kinds of stuff from, he's in Inglewood still. And he, and he sends me all kinds of stuff to try to help him sell it. Sure. But I'm like, I'm like, man, I don't want to sell it. I love this. Stuff, <laughs> I'll, just man. Keep I'll, just, it. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just buy it from you yeah. and keep it. Cause I mean, well, I know, I know the, the, all the time that goes into it and all oh, the yeah. work and everything. Yeah. But yeah. Billy, the thing of it is, is that you, and I wonder why there's more programming like that in the lows and mediums. And, you, and then you get to the, you know, the camp level, the minimum, and they really don't have anything except for the RDAP program. You know, there was some GED. I know that Michael Hughes had gotten involved with that education part, but for the most part, uh, it seems like they cut so much of that out when you get down to the camp level. I'm not sure why that is. I guess because you don't really have people doing long sentences. I don't know, man. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, I mean, programming was supposed to be it's it's for the government, federal, the federal government. You know, provides all that for us so we can try to better ourselves when we get out. You know what I mean? I, and you think that if somebody doesn't <clears throat> have a lot of time, they try to get them while you know if it's whether it's a year or ten years, that you can get them whatever that is yeah better into I, getting know, out back into the world i never thought about that man you know and and but you know the 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 thing that i did like about about the camp is you know you, you get to go work out you know go work at yeah. these shops and everything that were around the prison and when i went to the to the, you know, to the shop where you actually work on vehicles and machinery yeah. and all that they had out there. You and I were right next to each other. I was at the food warehouse and you were at the shop. Yes, sir. It, yes, sir. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I would go eat burgers with y'all. That's remember? right. We ate good. We ate good at the food warehouse. There was oh, one hell man. of a perk up there. I mean, and, yeah, and talking okay. about COs, I don't know if Matt Knoll is still there, um, but you know, there were good CEOs and there were bad CEOs. 
Matt Knoll was a good CEO. He really just was a guy. He wasn't trying to force anything on anybody. He's trying to treat us like regular people, and I always appreciate that about him. Yeah. Well, the, the CEO that was with us when we went when I went to the shop, mm-hmm. he had just started. Uh, his name was White. His last yeah, name was White. Yeah, remember White? Yeah. Yeah, and, and he had just started, so he he was new to the to the shop, and he's like, "Hey, Billy." I heard you know a lot about. I said, "Yeah, man, I, I've I've been around this." He goes, "You help me out, I help you out." Yeah. And I said, "Okay, man." And and I mean, I was just making him look good because I was fixing everything, man. I mean, and like, you know, what? for for those who don't know, <laughs> Billy, you fixed like all the trucks and stuff that were on that whole campus. So yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that 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 the inmates do everything, and it's. Yeah. You know, if there's trucks to be worked on, it's not somebody who's uh, hired by the federal government. It is the inmates. If there's electrical problems, it's the electrical shop. If there's paint to be done, it's painting. If there's mowing yeah. to be done, there's it's all inmates. And yeah. then, you know, we did the food warehouse, and we, you know, we moved quite a bit of food up there for 2,200 people. But yeah, you did – but you're right about one thing about that was really I thought was liberating – and I never could figure out why the guys stayed behind the fence because it really did feel different to go to work every day in the, in the shop or at, at the food warehouse or Unicorn or whatever when you got out of that fenced-in area because those guys, some of those guys stayed in there all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was – I mean, the first time that I showed up at the camp and they're like, walk out them doors and go to the shop. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> I was afraid to walk out the door. Yeah, right. And the, and the CEO, there was only one CEO, and he's like, what are you doing? I was like, can I, you know, he goes, get out of here, man. Yeah. You're at a camp. Get out of here. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember walking out there. I walked, walked out the doors, and I started walking to the shop by myself, and I'm like, I was almost in tears, man, because yeah. I felt and it'd been free what? again. And it'd been, <laughs> no, seriously, Billy, it had been like three or four years, right? Since yeah, you've been yeah. kind and of I, walking I, behind, I was, out, out beyond the fence? Yeah, I was yeah. nervous, man, and 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 I was walking to the shop, which was maybe a mile or mile or a little bit under. I could see the trees, I could see deers, I could see turkeys, yeah. and I was like, "I'm free again," you know. Yeah, yeah no, it does. <laughs> and, it it does give you that feel, I, and I never could figure out why other guys didn't take advantage of that feeling because I I made sure that I walked every day to the food warehouse because I liked walking yeah. that mile. Yeah you know, to see kind of the world going on on Metropolitan Boulevard and, and just feeling yeah. like you were kind of normal. Yeah. And we, and we, uh, and another thing about the shop that was a blessing and I, and I thank God that I had to, in, in a tough situation, it, it, there was a lot of blessings. I met, I met a bunch of great people there, man. And, and the guys in our shop, you know, we became like a little family too. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of them guys didn't know, you know, they're already in their late thirties and didn't didn't know a dang thing about working on vehicles or anything, mm-hmm. or you know, busting tires. And and I started showing them, and what intrigued me that they were so focused on wanting to learn to take it out to the to the world, which we we used to say, you know, out here yeah. to the freedom. And so I showed a lot of them how to drive trucks. I helped them get their CDL in there 
and I showed a lot of them how to do mechanic work and bust tires. And Billy, a lot of them. Billy, don't you think that that helped you move along your time? I mean, to me, that doing things like that seems like that when you're helping somebody and they're learning something new and you're able to basically use your brain and your knowledge, it almost seems like it shrinks your time a little bit. It did, man. It helped me. It helped me out a lot. And it came with a lot of reward. You know what I mean? Because they were thankful. So they were hooking me up with Mm -hmm. whatever they could. And then the CEO, he's like, Billy, you're just making me look really good, man. I mean, <laughs> hell, you know what I mean? I yeah, mean, and they like that. <laughs> even the warden, even the yeah. warden was like, "I don't know what the hell you're doing over there, but just keep on doing it." You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and, and uh, you know, a bunch of those guys that really wanted to do something, you know, they they send me messages right now. They're like, "Hey, man, you know, I can't. You know, without you, what you showed me." I don't think I would be out of prison still to this day, but since the knowledge that you showed me in there and all this, I got me a good job and I'm doing good. And I'm like, Oh man, yeah, that, that's got to fill you, you know, up, man. That's got to oh, fill man. you up, make you feel good. Yeah. That's good I stuff. Horrible, I mean, it, you know, and I, I was going to say, Billy, you and I both know there's some good guys that we were in prison with mm-hmm, and, and they mm-hmm. wanted and needed an opportunity getting out and you helping them get along that way. It's a big deal. It really is. It helped. It helped me out a lot too. You know what I mean? Sure. It did. <sighs> yes, sir. But yeah, I'm, I still keep in contact with them a little bit, you know, through social media and stuff yeah. like that. But you know, everybody's busy with their lives and there's one guy that he came to visit me and we visit for a little bit. I went to dinner and you know, he's doing good and still thankful. And you know, he's always thankful. Billy, I'm wondering, like, because get being in at the length of time that you were in, there's hard days that happen in prison. You know, there, there's things where you feel like you're further away from, from everybody that you want to be with. Did, how did you handle hard days in prison? Man, I just, you know, I, I just, you know, prayed a lot. And, you know, I, I 